Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, do you remember 2017? It seems so long ago now, doesn't it? So much has happened. 2017, way back when, when we didn't have to wear masks. Remember that? Except to Halloween parties, of course. Or to our Peace Pumpkin Fest. People had parties. Parties without penalties, without getting the water turned off or electricity turned off. And when you met someone new at a party, you shook hands, not elbows. <laughs> Social distancing wasn't even in our vocabulary yet. And if it were, it probably would have meant something like driving a good distance for a good social visit with friends or relatives. Maybe up in the mountains or someplace remote. And if you're going to Zoom there, that meant, that meant you were going to drive fast as so you can see them soon face to face. So much has changed. But do you remember all that way back in 2017? Now, another thing's Lutherans the world over were doing way back in 2017, including ourselves right here at Peace Lutheran. One thing we were doing was celebrating the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. It's all coming back to you now, isn't it? That summer of 2017, I took my very first overseas trip ever and went to the places of the Reformation. My wife, Lori, and I visited Wittenberg, Germany, for example, and we stood before the very entryway of the castle church where Martin Luther in 1517 posted his 95 theses, protesting indulgences, purgatory, penance requirements for the forgiveness of sins, and on and on and on the list went. Okay, so for many, that right there, the posting of the 95 Theses, marked the beginning of the Reformation, and that was now 504 years ago. So the question is, what's this 500th anniversary celebration today all about? What is this Here I Stand Sunday commemorating? I thought we already made the big to-do about the Reformation three and a half, four years ago. Well, I got news for you. The Reformation's 500th year celebrations already started way back in 1983 with Martin Luther's 500th birthday. And moving forward, there'll be plenty more anniversaries to celebrate for a good long while. As far as, for example the so-called gem of the Reformation. Do you know what that is? Martin Luther's small catechism, considered a classic in historic literature. It turns 500 in the year 2029, so we can look forward to that. Then there's the Augsburg Confession, 1530, had 500 years, and on and on it goes. We're going to be partying, hopefully without penalty, and hopefully without masks. But today on this here I stand Sunday. We're looking back at that dramatic scene at the so-called Diet of Worms of 1521 where a nervous but bold Luther made his life-altering, history-changing confession of faith in the word of God. The highest authority there is, Luther maintained. It's still all about Jesus. So let's take a closer look at this day. April 18th, 1521, the place, Worms, spelled Worms in English, and no worms were not on the lunch menu in this locale. The term diet refers not to food, but 
to an imperial assembly where rulers and dignitaries all gathered to tackle the pressing issues of the day, like condemning heretics to die. This little southwestern German town, population 7,000, swelled to over 10,000 for the occasion, and it all could have ended up done, finished on April 17, 1521. Martin Luther recently excommunicated by Pope Leo X in Rome for refusing to recant his writing, including his 95 Theses, all said to be in opposition to the church's teachings, he had up to this point refused to recant. In fact, after Luther received an official copy of the Pope's excommunication papers back in the fall, Luther invited some friends and faculty from the University of Wittenberg to come out for a little papal paper burning party. This was right in the gateway of uh, Wittenberg. And now Luther said, I'm getting back at you. The Pope's letter called for all of Luther's works everywhere to be burned wherever they were found, quote, publicly and solemnly in the presence of the clerics and all the people, unquote. So Luther thought he'd just do the same thing with not only those excommunication, excommunication papers themselves that he had received from the Pope, but he'd also throw in some church canon law books with which he himself disagreed doctrinally. It was indeed a tit for tat, and not really the way at all that Luther was hoping the thing would play out. Luther wanted, rather, to dig into Scripture and hash things out together in a debate with his adversaries in the Roman church. The very church that Luther had continually considered himself to be a part of, part of right up until his excommunication, of course. So, with the Pope now having no success, the ball was in the Holy Roman Emperor's court. Charles V was going to give Luther one last chance before branding him an outlaw and an enemy of the empire with a price on his head. So in April of 1521, Emperor Charles V summoned Luther to an imperial hearing at the Diet of Worms. After about a two-week journey by carriage from Wittenberg in northeastern Germany, Luther arrives at Worms with a small entourage on April 16th. After a restless night, Luther makes his appearance before the emperor, the electors, German princes, and papal emissaries. The heat was stifling in the closely packed room, no social distancing there, in the bishop's palace. The sun was beginning to set on the city of Worms. Luther is asked to rise and then asks two questions by the Pope's representative. Being shown a table full of some 41 publications by his own hand, Luther is simply asked, are these yours and do you recant them all? No debate, no discussion, just a simple yes or no to both questions, please. Unfortunately, that's how it went for Luther that day in 1521. But it actually could have been worse, believe it or not. It worked in Luther's favor that the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V presiding was a young man of barely 21 years of age. 
He had come to the throne at the ripe old age of 19 and inherited a full slate of global problems, including an aggressive Ottoman Empire, always threatening to expand into Europe under the crafty Sultan Suleiman the Great. That was on the eastern border, and on the western front was a war with France. So Charles, knowing Luther's popularity in all the German states, wanted to give Luther every last chance to live out his days in peace and harmony with both the ecclesiastical and civil authorities. But Emperor Charles was also a very devout Catholic. And by the way, he simultaneously wore the crown of the King of Spain and the King of the Netherlands, where the Inquisition had already set a very bad precedent for the survival of heretics. Now, all eyes were on Luther. As the Wittenberg Bible professor stood silently before his works laid out. Would he retract what he had written and said against the abuses in the church and the papal tyranny? Would he recant? Most of all, would he give up on the gospel that he had preached and taught, giving comfort and certainty to consciences in Christ alone as the one true mediator between man and God? Would Luther deny the faith as he had come to know it? All would be well with Pope and Emperor if he did just recant. On the other hand, if he did not recant, his own life would be at risk. He could be burned right there as a heretic, as were others before him. As the sun set on April 17th, Luther called for a timeout. He asked for more time. He pointed out that those books before him were great in both number and in variety. And it wouldn't be prudent to pronounce a sweeping judgment upon them all without a chance to review them. Court adjourned until the same time the next day, April 18, 1521. Gathered again and now losing patience, John Eck, the Pope's spokesperson, interrogated Luther once more before the assembly. Martin, answer clearly and without any double talk. Do you or do you not recant your books and the errors in them? That was it. Recant or stand firm. With beads of sweat on his face, Luther gave gave this now very famous response. Unless I'm convinced by the testimony of the scriptures or by clear reason, For I do not trust either in the Pope or in councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. I am bound by the scriptures that I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. I cannot do otherwise. Here I stand. May God help me. Amen. At this bold confession, the room erupted in noise. Some rejoiced, some demanded fire. Yet in the midst of all this commotion, the truth of Jesus Christ rang forth. The gates of Hades had not prevailed over the confession of the true gospel. 
the proclamation of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of Christ alone for which Luther stood, did not bend to spiritual tyranny. It was an amazing moment 500 years ago on this very day. And the rest, as they say, is history. This is most certainly true. Things would not be the same from that day forward in Christendom, in Europe, in the entire world. But as we, we reflect back on that moment and what it must have been like for Luther and for all those who followed this gospel teaching, I can't help but be reminded of our Lord's words from Luke's gospel this morning. I wonder if Luther brought them to his mind too at that moment. Says Jesus, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Luther indeed was a faithful witness that day as he testified to his faith's convictions. No, he wasn't an eyewitness as Jesus' disciples were in Luke chapter 24, our gospel. But nevertheless, Luther saw himself as a witness according to the Greek word used for witness in the New Testament. And he should know he translated from the Greek New Testament. The Greek word for witness is martyr, from which we get our English word martyr. Luther really thought right then in Worms, Germany. And at other times in his travels, after being pronounced an outlaw by the Edict of Worms, published just a few weeks later in May of 1521, he really thought that he would not escape any of those situations with his life. But he did. God saw to it with a little help from his friends. Most of you probably know the story of the aftermath of the Diet of Worms, but it goes back to Emperor Charles V. Charles had previously been persuaded by Luther's prince Frederick the Wise, Elector of Saxony, to grant Luther safe conduct, both coming to and leaving from the city of Worms. Charles kept his word. After all, as Elector of Saxony, Frederick the Wise was one of those electors who elected Charles V to be the Holy Roman Emperor in the first place. So Frederick had a little pull, and he used it on behalf of one of his favorite citizens, Martin Luther but he doesn't end there. Frederick feared for Luther's life in the near term after the edict condemning Luther was published throughout the land, so Frederick masterminded a fake kidnapping of Luther on his return journey to Wittenberg from Worms. Frederick had a wise plan of masked men spiriting Luther away to his safe fortress, and I might say a mighty one at that at the Wartburg Castle near Eisenach, Germany. There, Luther laid low for the better part of a year. He grew a beard and gained an alias. Luther, for a time, became known as Knight George. That was his handle. Everybody assumed Luther was either killed or at least imprisoned until the heat was off him, so to speak. While sheltering in place there at the Wartburg Castle, Luther continued his significant contributions to the church and to the reform movement that he had started. He first translated 
the very first edition of the New Testament into the German language. It was called Luther's Bible. Historians credit Luther for galvanizing the German language into one common dialect by this published New Testament as Germany at this point in its history was not yet a unified nation but rather made up of many states and provinces. Now more importantly, however, Luther helped put the mighty word of God into the hands of the people in their vernacular. Common folk for the first time could read the scriptures and understand it. They could grow in their biblical literacy. We kind of take this for granted today, don't we? So many households have multiple editions of the whole Bible, Old and New Testament, just gathering dust on the shelves. But hearing stories like this remind us of just how precious Scripture is in our lives and how we ought to cherish it. Luther once said, a simple layman armed with Scripture is greater than the mightiest pope without it. His life, his own life, coming from peasant stock, then pursuing the quiet life of a lowly monk and ending up where he did, Luther's whole life was a testimony to that truth, the mighty word of God. Concerning God's holy word as a means of grace in the life of every believer, Luther also said this, the Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It lays hold of me. Christ's words truly did lay hold of this faithful witness. Luther's heroic stand at Worms is reminiscent of Peter and the apostles in the book of Acts as we see these witnesses who were once cowering behind locked doors for fear of the Jews coming after them as they once captured their master, Jesus. But in our Acts lesson today, for example, Peter is no longer cowering there, is he? Not at all. With boldness, he declares to the very leaders who perpetrated Christ's crucifixion. He declares, The God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this, we are witnesses. Armed with the word of God, empowered by God's Holy Spirit, Peter and the apostles too were indeed witnesses. In his day, Luther stood up and spoke clearly and fearlessly as a witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. 500 years later, today, we stand in the footsteps of the apostles of the martyrs and reformers like Martin Luther, we stand in and by the power of the same Holy Spirit, boldly proclaiming the one who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We stand boldly with each other and we stand in our callings, renouncing on a daily basis the devil and all his works and all his ways. We stand only by the grace of God steadfast and ready to suffer all rather than fall away. We do not stand on Peter or John or Martin Luther, but we stand on Christ, the rock of our salvation. 
And we gladly stand along with all these witnesses, firm on the testimony of the Holy Scriptures to confess the saving gospel of Christ, our good shepherd who died and rose again and in whose name is the forgiveness of sins for all people. Here we stand. We can do no other. God help us. Amen. And as a little test to our testimony, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen.